pray with me? Father God, I just want to thank you for who you are. You are a heavenly Father. And I pray for your, and I thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Father God, I just thank you for all you have drawn here to fellowship with you in the, with us in this building, in these seats. I also thank you for those you have drawn on the radio at this time. And Father God, I just pray that you will move the Holy Spirit in and through us, that you will help us to prepare our hearts individually for this time of corporate worship. And Father God, help us to behold who you are. Help us to behold your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. came for criminals and every Pharisee. You came for hypocrites, even one like me. You carried sin and shame, the guilt of every man, the weight of all I've
to kill is my victory. Oh, a cross man to kill is my victory. For those listening on radio, that was Beth Butcher and and Kristen Bobble, along with Sharon Chaney on the piano. What a beautiful way to start this worship service on this wonderful fall, uh, mid-November day. We have several announcements before we get started. You'll notice we have two roses on the altar this morning, which we which means we are celebrating some couples' wedding anniversaries this next week. First rose is for Michael and Lynn McCabe, who will be celebrating 52 years of marriage on Monday, November 14th. And the second rose is for Terry and Rebecca Houston, who will be celebrating 53 years of marriage on Wednesday, November 16th. Congratulations to both couples. This Wednesday night, there will be an informational meeting at 8.15 in the youth room. For any students and their parents who are interested in going on a youth mission trip this summer. Also, this Friday night at 7 p.m., the Outreach and Evangelism team invites you to a family movie night. Popcorn and drinks will be provided. Families will receive a gift to celebrate the beginning of Advent season. And also, on tomorrow, November 14th, is the last day to bring in donations or financial gifts for the Grammel's Christmas Group Project that will benefit the Auglaize County Crisis Center. And also next Sunday, November 20th, is the deadline for anybody to bring in Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes. There are other announcements in your bulletin. Please take the time to look them over. And now would you please stand and join me in our call to worship. Our call to worship this morning is based on Psalm 108, verses 1 through 4. Our hearts are ready, O Lord. Our hearts are ready. We will sing and make melody. We will awaken the dawn. We will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. We will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great above the heavens, and your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Please remain standing as we sing our opening hymn this morning, which is taken from the blue hymnal, number 493, It Is Well With My Soul.
And you may be seated. This time I want to invite uh, those who are joining the church this morning, as well as the elders, to come forward at this time. It's really a, this is a joyous occasion. Uh, this is a really cool opportunity um, because this is the first time that, that we're receiving new members into the church since I've been here. So this is a very exciting thing for me. I just want to take a few moments and just um, explain why I think that this is such an important thing. Uh, because membership uh, to the church is more than simply just being able to vote, although that, you know, obviously comes with that, that privilege. But, but these six individuals, including myself, uh, that'll be joining the church today officially, uh, we're making a statement. We're making a commitment to the church, to the body of Christ in this community, um, and, and a commitment to, to be here and to be a part of the life of the church. And that's a very important thing, uh, to be uh, willing to, to put our name on the line and say, this is where we belong and this is where we want to be. Um, and it's a commitment that we're making to you as, as the body of Christ here in this place. And, and it comes along with all of the, the rights and the privileges and the responsibilities that that means uh, to be committed to praying and to commit to grow together in the Lord. Um, but it's also a commitment that, that we hope that you will make to us as well as the, as the church, as the membership that's already here. You know, we're, we're committing to you, but we also pray that you will commit to us as well to encourage us, to help us to grow, uh, to, to lift us up when we're, when we're down and, and together by, by making that commitment, us to you and, and your commitment to us. Uh, we're we're committing to grow together in the Lord, and so that's to me just a small part of what uh, what this means today. And and I want to take this opportunity too, since this is the first time uh, we're receiving members into the church during my time here. Um, if you're sitting out there and thinking I haven't made that commitment yet myself, I haven't you know put my name on the line in that way. Um, I'd encourage you to talk to me. This isn't a one-time only thing. I'd love to stand up here once a month and receive new members into this church uh, to see people making that commitment. And so. Uh, feel free to talk to me um, when this is after the service or sometime in the future. I do want to take a moment and just uh, mention the names of those who are joining the church. Uh, we have Sarah Belton and Bev Reinecke down there at that end. Um, some of these faces down here might be a little bit more familiar. This is Jake Bredigan and Tori Russell. And then obviously Allie and myself are joining the church as well. So those are the six members that are, uh, we are receiving into the church membership today. So, uh, since I am one of the members that's joining, I asked Glenn as an elder to, to pray for us and to pray for this church during this time. Glenn? Thank you for, thank you for joining in our midst. I'm going to, uh, pray through the mission statement of this church. First Church recognizes Jesus Christ as the head of the church and Savior and Lord. We are an independent, non-denominational congregation, a community of faith who engage biblical truth to provide the environment where people mature as disciples of Christ. To accomplish our mission, First Church will encounter our Creator, embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior to become His disciples, Empower lives through God's living word, the Bible. Engage with the Holy Spirit to provide guidance and direction. Encourage others to know Christ and strengthen their relationship with God. Enrich the body of Christ by going forth and supporting fellow disciples. Our loving Father, Scripture says that neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who increases. Father, we enter into your presence for the growth of our church. 
Lord, pour out your life-giving spirit and your enabling power upon this church in an abundant measure and bring forth a total revival in the church. Purge away all our sins, inequities, and uncleanness from the church. Let your ears be open toward all the prayers that come to you from this church day and night. Let your glory cover this church. Place your mighty outstretched hands on every member and the leaders of this congregation. Help us to be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the Lord. This we pray in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Glenn. Uh, this time, um, as the children are come forward, I invite you to stand and greet each other and greet our new members as well. Thank you very much. Welcome into the family. Courtney, you want to come? Good morning, kids. How are all of you guys this morning? Good. Yeah? You guys are so awake and so smiley. This morning we're talking about joy, and I think the title of the sermon is Joy in Every Situation. What is joy? What Joy is being happy. What is something that makes you guys happy? Games. Games make you happy? What's up to something else that makes you happy? Balloons. Balloons. You guys caught on. What's something else that makes you guys happy? Bike riding. Bike riding? Bike riding with mom and dad. I love it. What's something else that makes you guys happy? What's something that makes you happy? Playing outside, enjoying this nice fall weather, huh? Did you guys get to play in the leaves? Yeah. Yeah, so playing in the leaves, playing outside. The leaves last night. All right. Courtney, what's something that makes you happy? Oh, 
Where's Big Brother? What's something that makes you happy? Playing with your friends. What's something that could make you unhappy? I don't want to play with you. What's something else that can make you unhappy and make you feel sad? I don't want to be your friend. What's something else that can make you guys really sad? For some of the sports people, probably when your team loses. When you fall down and get a cut. When you maybe lose somebody or somebody gets sick. No. What's something that can always make us happy? Jesus. Oh, that's a big one. Uh-uh, I'm not popping this one. This one's filled with Jesus. Look, it's tied off, and I can I can tap it, and it's Jesus, and it's never gonna it's never gonna lose air. It's always gonna float, and it's always gonna be tied. Basically, the air in this balloon is like Jesus inside of you guys. And Jesus, when he lives inside of you guys, always brings you joy and always makes you feel like light as a feather, like a balloon when you play with it. Okay? So remember that this week when you guys are out and about and you're enjoying playing in the leaves in the fall and you're playing with your friends and you have those joyful moments. Remember that Jesus brings you those joyful moments. Okay? Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for these children coming up here today. Thank you for their smiling faces and their joyful hearts. Lord, I pray that you bless each and every single one of their lives, that you be very present in their lives and you show them your love and your faithfulness and your joy. Lord, we bless that they, and we hope that they have a great week this upcoming week. In all your name we pray. Amen. Keeping your thoughts and prayers, the families of the following servicemen who were killed in Jordan at the King Faisal El Jafar Air Base uh, by accident. Staff Sergeant Matthew C. Llewellyn, 27, from Lawrence, Kansas. Staff Sergeant Kevin J. McEnroe, 30, from Tucson, Arizona. Staff Sergeant James F. Moriarty, 27, from Kerrville, Texas. These were all special forces assigned to assist the Jordanians. Also, from killed in or who died in Kuwait, Specialist Ronald L. Murray, Jr., 23, from Bowie, Maryland, operating in support of the operations in Iraq.
have a few uh, announcements to make in regards to funeral arrangements for members of our church and family that have passed away recently. Uh, first, Bill Dillon, um, who passed away this weekend. Uh, his services will be at Manuel UCC in Kettlersville. Receiving will be Friday night from 4 to 7, and the service will be Saturday at 10. Also, Lester Cruzy passed away this weekend as well. Uh, his The receiving will be on Tuesday, uh, this Tuesday, from 2 to 8 at the Schlosser Funeral Home in Wapakoneta. And the services will be here at First Church at 10.30 on Wednesday morning. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer and remember these families as well as the families of those soldiers who lost loved ones. Father, uh, you are the God of all comfort and peace. Uh, you are the comforter of all who sorrow and who are mourning uh, for the loss of these loved ones. We pray that you would comfort them, bring them, uh, bring them peace in the midst of sorrow, bring them joy in the midst of, of grief, and Lord, um, sustain them as they, as they mourn. Uh, we know it's not easy to, to lose loved ones, um, but help us, Lord, to mourn not as those who have no hope, but whose hope is in you. Lord, that's such a comfort um, and, and a source of strength during this time. Lord, we are also grateful uh, for, for the new members that joined this church today. I pray that you would lift them up and sustain them. And Lord, I pray that in doing so, you would continue to, to grow and to, th- and to help this body of Christ here in this church to be healthy. Um, I pray that we would continue to grow, not just in numbers, Lord, but in spiritual maturity. That, that you would draw us further and further into relationship with you and help us to grow together, um, lifting each other up, uh, encouraging each other in, in such a way that, that we are spurring each other on towards, towards love and good deeds, as your word calls us to do. Uh, Lord, I pray that this place, this body of believers in New Knoxville would be a, a source of, of, that, uh, of that spiritual growth for each other. We pray all these things in the name of Christ who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. I invite those who are helping with the morning offering to come forward at this time. Uh, and I am glad to introduce the choir again to lead us in worship during this moment.
be seated. I'll encourage you to open your Bibles. Again, we're reading in Philippians this week. Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Yodia, and I plead with Syntyche, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Thanks, Danielle. Let's stand and sing together number 394, In My Life, Lord, Be Glorified. seated. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for this opportunity to be here. I pray that you would be glorified, Lord, through this service as we worship you in song and in prayer, as we hear your word read and hear it now preached. I pray that in all these things you would be glorified. In Christ we pray. Amen. So this passage that we come to is the beginning of chapter four, the last chapter in this letter to the Philippians. And, and for the most part, for the, through the first three chapters that we've studied together and looked at together, we've seen Paul kind of teach these big theological themes, these big theological concepts of 
you know, the, how we should live our lives and, and follow Christ's example. He talked about how the, we have, we've, excuse me, we've learned about needing the priority of the gospel in our lives as we face hardship, right? Paul wasn't concerned about his own situation. He, he, his joy and his hope and his focus was that the gospel was being advanced through any and all of his hardships. We saw the need for unity, humility, and obedience with Christ as the ultimate example of these through his life, his death, and his resurrection. In the last couple of weeks, we focused on the relationship between our salvation and our behavior. Right? Nothing we can do can earn our salvation. It's something that Christ has already done for us. The, the work of Christ on the cross was enough for us. Right? We don't need to add anything onto that in order to be saved. Yet we, as citizens of heaven, should conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, right? We should live out of that salvation that he has already provided for us. Um, we should live in, re- in, in other words, we should live in response to what Christ has already done, right? So, so there is a sense of, you know, we should model our lives after Christ, but it's only insofar as what he's already done for us. And so that brings us then to, uh, to chapter four here where um, he begins to unpack some of those, I guess you could say, in a more practical way. He begins to give these, these quick commands and quick lessons of what those things actually look like lived out in your daily lives. This is, in a sense, where the rubber hits the road uh, for these concepts that we've been talking about over the last, I guess, couple months, really. Uh, and so, remember what we talked about last week, that obedience follows faith, not vice versa. Right? And so, as we talk about what what unity looks like, what it means to rejoice in the Lord always. It's all in response to what Christ has already done for us. And that's a key concept to remember. This isn't us trying to work out of our own will or out of our own power, but it's about what Christ has already done for us and what the implications are of that in our own lives. And so in this closing chapter, he turns to more practical matters. Um, In other words, another way to, to look at this is it's not enough simply just to believe something is true, right? To, to believe that something is true in our minds and our hearts, but not really let it affect our actions. What Paul is telling us here is that, that what we believe and what we claim to, to hold true uh, in our own lives should impact how we, live, how we live, and we must then live those things out. Paul calls us to conduct ourselves, if you remember back in chapter 1, verse 27, to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel and to live as citizens of heaven. And so this involves our beliefs and our actions lining up. Uh, you've heard the word hypocrite thrown out a lot before, right? I'm sure that's a, uh, unfortunately a common term that we're all familiar with. Um, and it's a word that, that Jesus actually used of the religious leaders of his day. He often called them hypocrites. And, and the term actually finds its origins in theater. Uh, this idea that a hypocrite was someone who simply played a part. Didn't necessarily have negative connotations, but it was a term used for an actor who was portraying someone else. In other words, someone who was pretending to be someone that they weren't. And that's really what, what it means to be a hypocrite, is, is to, to be someone, to act in a way that doesn't line up with our beliefs and, our, and what we say we believe. And so, so what Paul is doing here is he's saying, all right, we, we, these are the things that you should believe. These are the things that, that, that we've talked about and studied so far. Now let's live them out. Let's allow our, we don't want our, our beliefs and our theological concepts to be divorced from our behavior and our actions. We want the two of them to come together. And so that's what he begins to, to talk about here. 
verse 1, he talks about, in a sense, sums up the previous section and serves as an introduction to these final comments. He says to stand firm in the Lord in this way. He begins to unpack the implications of the teaching he just shared and admonishes them to live in such a manner. So it kind of acts as a bridge from the previous sections to this final section that has some more practical instruction. And so notice here, too, that Paul pleads with them not just as their pastor, but as their friend. You can see the love that Paul has for for the Philippian church come out here. He talks about how they are his joy and his crown. You know, the crown is a, is a figurative expression of, of tender love and care for another person. The crown was um, the garland that an that athlete received for being victorious in a competition. And so Paul is, is comparing, is, is, is saying that these Philippians, um, who he cares about so much, are like the, the reward that he's received from working hard and, and, and continuing on in his ministry despite the hardship that he'd faced. And so then he, he unpacks the, what this looks like in kind of three big categories, and that's what I want to look at today. He first talks about what unity looks like in the church in, a, in very practical ways. He talks about, uh, gives these four commands, these four admonitions about how we as believers should then live, live that out. And then he closes, off about, uh, closes out this section by talking about um, how our thinking and how our actions should l- line up and maintain these realities. And so he first talks about verses 2 and 3 about unity in real life. Paul urges these two women, um, which Danielle, great job pronouncing their names. I'm not going to even try to do that myself. I just like to say these two women. You know, these names aren't, aren't, the names themselves aren't very important. It's the only times they they come up. I used to tell my youth group when I was a youth pastor, just say it like you mean it, right? Just say it like, give it confidence because most often nobody else knows how to pronounce them either. So that was a great job uh, reading those names. But he urges these two women to um, get over whatever this disagreement and to unite in the Lord. It doesn't say what their disagreement was. You know, we could try to fill in the blank about what they were arguing over. But whatever the disagreement may have been, it was a big enough and it was a strong enough disagreement that it was causing problems in the church. Um, and, and it was causing disunity. And so Paul had to address this issue. Um, whatever, um, and so it was causing issues within the church. So this idea of church, uh, church disagreements and church arguments isn't exactly a modern thing, right? It's something that we continue to struggle with and continue to face today, and, and it's something that dates all the way back to the early church. Uh, the reality is that churches are full of, of sinners, right? None of us are perfect. None of us are, are, are so good that we don't make mistakes, right? That's why we need Christ in the first place. But what that means is that when you get a whole bunch of us in the same room at the same time, Things are bound to happen, right? Mistakes are bound to be made. Disagreements are bound to, to happen. And it's a matter of how we respond to those and what we do with them. And there, Paul um, urges three, or gives three examples of what we can do to help get over these disagreements and get over these arguments, right? Because church, churches can cause damage in our own personal lives, in the community. And when, and when we allow these disagreements to just fester, when we allow them to take over and take control, then, then we can do some real damage within the church and within the community as well. And so Paul handles this in, in, with three different uh, points here. And it's things that I think we can learn to pursue unity amidst conflict. The first is that he pleads with these women equally. right? He doesn't take sides. He pleads with both of them. He doesn't say one was right and one was wrong and to get over it. right? He just pleads with both of them to find agreement in the Lord. 
to find unity in the Lord. And so, and so he doesn't take one side over the other. The second thing is he asks a third party to mediate the disagreement. Right? He talks about this true companion that he calls on to help them to try to settle it. And that's a, such an important thing because sometimes we can't solve our problem ourselves, right? If I'm having a disagreement with somebody, it's not always easy for the two of us to see eye to eye and to, to come to an agreement. And so there are times when it's important for a third party, a mediator, to kind of step in and, and help work through that issue. And that's especially true when the disagreement is within the church, right? When there's an issue of when, it's, when the church unity is at stake, it's important that we as a church kind of help st- step in and help with that issue. And so he, he encourages this person to step in and, and help them to solve their disagreement. And third, he mixes praise with correction, right? He talks about these two women in a very positive way, right? They were people who labored with him in the gospel. They were fellow workers and, and probably, you know, in a sense, leaders in that church. And so he doesn't, he doesn't just say, oh, shame on you. You've got to get your act together, you know, figure this thing out. He builds them up and he gives them praise and he gives them, um, you know, a sense of, of purpose and belonging. He talks about them working alongside with him in the gospel. They both have their names written in the book of life. Those are, those are ways that Paul's building them up. And in doing so, he's able to say, look, you are doing a good job, right? You, are, you do have value. You are important here. And so let's try to figure this thing out together. I think that can go a long way as we argue and as we have disagreements. It's important to build each other up, to find the positive in the situation, to look and to try to, to try to move forward together instead of tearing each other down. Because when we start doing that, when we start just picking at each other and, and tearing each other down, it's not going to solve anything. We're just going to try to build up our own walls and, and be defensive and not be willing to listen to what each other has to say. And so it's important to, to build each other up. And so I believe that following these three steps has enabled these women, hopefully, you know, we don't obviously know the exact outcome, but hopefully they were able to get over their disagreement and unite together in the Lord as Paul urged them to do. And I think if we were able to follow these three steps as a church, um, as individuals that have disagreements, it would go a long way in, in helping to solve those things and coming together in the Lord. Paul urges them to have the same mind. And that's the same, similar language to what Paul used in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, when he talked about putting others' interests ahead of our own. See, that's the key. That's, this is the practical outcome of that mindset. If we were able to look to others' interests ahead of our own, if we were to be united as one in this body, then this is what it would look like to, to help keep that unity and maintain it within the church. Then Paul goes on in the next few verses to give four, four commands and four admonitions. First, he says to rejoice in the Lord. Um, joy has been a major theme throughout this letter. Um, and it's important to remember that joy is not determined by our circumstances. I love the balloon analogy, Shelby. That was a great way to, to explain how, how if we just allow the, the good and the bad things in our life to either inflate that balloon or take it away, then we're, we're constantly going to be changing. We're going to have this roller coaster of emotions. But if we remember that our joy isn't based in our circumstances, but it's based in the Lord, that balloon will stay inflated no matter what comes, no matter what life throws our way. And so it's important to remember that. And Paul, Paul emphasized that by saying, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Not just when you feel like it, not when it's convenient to you, but always. 
And that's such an important thing to remember because it's, we're called to do it in every situation. It's not a rejection of reality. It's not pretending like sorrow and hardship and pain doesn't exist, but it's acknowledging that those things don't determine our joy. Our joy is found only in Christ. That's the one thing that cannot be taken away from us. He says, rejoice in the Lord. That's been a common phrase throughout Philippians. It's shown up uh, several times. Uh, and joy does not, it's a reminder that joy doesn't come from our own strength. It's not just willpower that I'm just going to be happy-go-lucky all the time and nothing's going to bother me. But it's joy that comes from the Lord. It's based on our relationship with Him and, and God's Spirit living in us and fueling that joy. We need to choose to allow the Holy Spirit to work in such a way. And so when Paul talks about joy in the Lord, that phrase, in the Lord, it's, it's often used to describe surprising human conduct who sources the Lord. In other words, it doesn't make any sense for someone to be filled with joy when they recently lost a loved one. Right? It doesn't make any sense for someone to be filled with joy when they're facing disagreements and unity and they can't come to a, a solution. Right? It doesn't make sense for someone to have joy when they recently lost a job or missed out on a promotion. But when our hope is in the Lord, when our joy is found in Him, then we can have joy even with those things going on. So it's not a rejection of those realities. It's not pretending like they don't exist, but it's allowing God and allowing our joy to be based on our relationship with Him. Living out Christ's Lordship equips believers to overcome circumstances that would otherwise dishearten unbelievers and disrupt their relationships. And so second, first, rejoice in the Lord always. The second command he gives says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Gentleness is often associated as, uh, with weakness, right? It gets a bad rap in our culture. But the gentleness that Paul is talking about here, the gentleness we see in the life of Christ is gentleness that comes from strength. It's, it's responding with kindness and love and compassion when the expected response would be retaliation, right? Instead of eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, I say love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, right? That's the teaching of Christ. That's the kind of gentleness that Paul is talking about here. Jesus, when he was arrested and betrayed, right, he had every right to stand up and to face his accusers and to, to claim his innocence, right, because he was, right? But what did he do? He remained silent. He remained silent. Romans 12, 17, 21 talks about not repaying evil with evil, but repaying evil with good. And in doing so, we may, may try to win them over. Right? If we were just to return evil for evil... Nothing would ever be accomplished. But by repaying evil with good, we're able to show them the kind of love that Christ has shown us. That kind of gentleness takes strength. And our motivation is because it says that the Lord is near. That's why we can rejoice in every circumstance. That's why we can be gentle when we're faced with hardship. Because He is near. And He's near in two senses. He's near because He has given us His Holy Spirit. And so His presence is with us no matter what we face. And He promises to never leave or forsake us. But He is near also in the sense that His return is, is closer than when we first believed. We see that in Romans 13, 11-14. Paul encourages the Roman church to, to continue to live out their faith. To continue to stand strong because the Lord's return is near than it was before. We have no idea when Christ will come back, but we know He will. We know that He will come back and set things straight. And that's where our hope is. 
we'll allow him to we'll allow him to come and to set the record straight not not take matters into our own hands third he commands us to not be anxious now this is a big one right this is a this is a hard one for us to grasp right anxiety this undue uh, concern over matters and it could be things that are small right many of us are worried and concerned about things that that aren't significant in the long run, right? We make mountains out of molehills and we become concerned about those things. But it's also, um, I believe Paul is teaching us to not be anxious about things that are big, even those things that are very significant in our lives, whether it's a health concern, um, you know, a family situation, a job loss. He calls us not to be anxious about those things as well. Because both making mountains out of molehills and being overly preoccupied or overly concerned with issues like that, it's demonstrating that, that in a sense, a lack of trust in the Lord. If we're, if we're anxious, if we're worried about those things, if we allow those things to consume us, then we're not really trusting in God's provision and His care for His children. First Peter, excuse me, First Peter 5, chapter 7 says, Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Right? God is a loving Father who cares for His children. And so, so when we face difficulties, when we face things, He calls us not to be anxious, but to trust in Him instead and to give Him those concerns. And that leads us into the fourth thing. Present your request to God. This is how we combat anxiety. And honestly, it's how, we, it's how we're able to rejoice and be gentle as well by coming to the Lord with our concerns. It says in every situation, nothing is too big or too small to prevent us from going to the Lord in prayer. The problem is that we often look to prayer as a last resort, right? If all else fails, we pray. But instead, he's calling us to pray in every situation, all the time, for anything, right? We're called to bring our prayers and petitions to the Lord. If we believe that God is a good father who takes care of his children and will only give us what is for our good, we can always be thankful no matter what the outcome is. Right? God answers prayer in three ways, I believe. This is oversimplifying things, but I think for the most part, they fit into these three categories. He'll either say yes, he'll say no, or he'll say not yet. And the answer no is a good thing. Because oftentimes we pray for things that aren't necessarily for our good. And we have to trust that God knows what's best. And he'll only give his children what is good and what accomplishes his will in our lives. And the outcome of going to the Lord in prayer is the peace of God. It's an inner sense of contentment that God provides. And it stands in in stark contrast with the anxiety that often consumes us. It comes from knowing that God is ultimately in control. The peace of God is not the absence of conflict, but it's the knowledge that in the midst of conflict, God is with us and has already proved victorious through the cross. What a great song for our introduction this morning, talking about the victory that Christ has won for us in the cross. And that's something that we can hold on to and put our trust in. The peace that God gives us passes all understanding from a worldly perspective, because from a worldly perspective, we shouldn't have peace. Right? When, when there's conflict, when there's issues, when there's hardships, that's not peaceful from a worldly perspective. But in Christ... By, by allowing Him to work in our lives, by receiving the peace that He offers, we can have peace in the midst of that because it comes from that foundation of relationship with Him and knowing that He is with us. 
God supplies the response that goes against expectations. As Christians, we can have the peace of God in any and every situation because we have peace with God. We can have the peace of God in any and every situation because we have peace with God. Because Christ has already done what was needed. Because that is something that can never be taken away from us. No matter what we face in this life, no matter what comes our way, our relationship with God cannot be taken away from us. What Christ has done is a once-for-all sacrifice. And that's something that we can put our hope and trust in. And so he gives us these four commands to rejoice, to be gentle, to not be anxious, and to go to the Lord in prayer. And so then he closes out this passage with, a, with what that looks like, I guess, I guess you could say, in our lives. How do we maintain and live out of that peace that God provides when we do those things? And first he says we can do it by focusing our attention on things that are true and noble and pure and lovely and admirable. Anything that is excellent and praiseworthy, he says, think about such things. When we have the peace of God, it can be easy to be distracted by, by the hardships and, and by the troubles that we face. Instead, he says, focus our minds and our hearts on those things that are, that are positive, those things that are uplifting. You know, have you ever been around someone who, who always just focused on the negative things, right? Who always just seemed to have a rain cloud over their head? It impacts how they live. It impacts their lives. It impacts their actions, right? Because what we believe impacts how we live. And so if we allow ourselves to just be overcome with anxiety and the negative things of this life, that will play itself out in our lives. But if we're able to focus on the positive things, the things of God, then, then that will have a positive impact and help us to maintain the peace that passes all understanding. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and perfect and proper worship. And do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You see, so much of our behavior, so much of our how we live begins with how we think. And how we, and whether we're focusing on the Lord, keeping our eyes focused on him, or we're allowing ourselves to be distracted by by the hardships that we face in this life. And so what we believe influences how we behave. And so then he closed out by saying, not only should you think about such things, not only should you keep your mind and your heart focused on the Lord, but we also need to live that out. Paul says and encourages them to, to live out and to put into practice all those things that, he's, that they have learned from him. It's not enough to just think about such things, but we need to put them into practice. In doing so, the God of peace will be with us. Notice this, this switch, uh, turn of phrase, I guess you could say, Paul uses here. How do we maintain and live out the peace of God? By setting our minds and our hearts and our actions on the God of peace. It's the peace of God that comes from having that relationship with Him and focusing our hearts and our minds on Him. And so we're able to have unity because of what He's done for us and by focusing our attention on Him. We're able to rejoice always because of what the Lord has done for us and that He'll never leave us or forsake us. We're able to be gentle in every situation because 
He's with us. And we're able to not be anxious because we can go to the Lord in prayer. I think prayer is what holds this all together. That's, that is like the glue that, that holds these promises together. We pursue unity. We rejoice in every situation. We respond graciously in the face of adversity. And we avoid anxiety by giving everything to the Lord in prayer. Prayer is so powerful because it is the foundation of our relationship with God. And so by focusing on things that are uplifting and true, and by putting our faith into practice, we'll be able to maintain the peace that passes all understanding. In closing, I want to read to you one more passage. This one is from Hebrews chapter 12. I think it's another description of what this looks like, the, the message that Paul is trying to communicate here. The author of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. How do we run the race? How do we continue to move forward in our faith? By focusing our eyes on Christ and and living out of what he has done for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for um, these encouragements in you. Thank you for this demonstration of what it looks like to live out these teachings in real and practical ways to strive for unity, to rejoice always, to be gracious, to not be anxious. And how do we do those things? By coming to you in prayer. In every, any and every situation, laying our petitions and our requests at your feet. Lord, help us to be people of prayer. Help us to keep our minds and our hearts focused on you and living out what you have taught us. In Christ we pray. Amen. In closing, let's stand and sing number three, oh, excuse me, number 435, What a Friend We Have in Jesus.
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face towards you and give you peace. Amen.